0: Welcome to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I am your host, Donnie Mabe. This is the monthly show focused on building conversations around the team-based model approach to athletic performance, strength and conditioning, sports medicine, sports science, mental health and wellness, and sports nutrition. Hello and welcome back to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Mabe and Coach Joe Krawczyk. Right across from me, in the house, Big Joe, what's up?
1: What's going on, Coach? How you doing?
0: I'm good, man. This is 2024, Coach. Looking back, how's 23? How was it for you? How was it? 23 was great. It was great. Good Uh, stuff, right?
1: Little man's getting bigger. Uh, He's two now. And 24 has got a lot of promise. January's always fun. Got the clinic coming up. And uh, and it's track season, indoor coming up. So that's going to be great, too, to see the kids compete.
0: I agree. 23 was great, but man, excited for this year. And today our guest couldn't have a better person on uh, board to, to meet with us and talk shop than Ashley Kuchar. Ashley, welcome to the show again. Just let's get right into it and talk about your company, Fell Better. How and why did you start the company and how's it going so far?
2: Yeah, so I'll tell you kind of why I started it, which goes back to why I got into this space of mental performance and sports psychology in the first place. Um, When I was growing up playing sports my whole life, I was really hard on myself. I was really perfectionistic. I also performed pretty well. (laughs) And, uh, And when I got into college, I was studying psychology, learned about some of these mental skills that changed everything for me and taught me that. I don't know that being hard on myself was really that helpful. The fear of failure—I didn't know how to manage that. Even though I, I competed at a high level, I still had a lot of fear of failure, and um, and so when I was in grad school studying these kinds of things, creating creating the reset program that you that you mentioned, uh, the last couple years of grad school, I decided that. I wanted to start my own business and help athletes who were like me, those who maybe ha- understood the stigma around mental health, who were scared of of talking to a therapist, those who were interested in increasing their performance also having a good time uh, at the same time having both high well-being and performance. And so started started the company right as I finished my PhD and it's been awesome. It's a, a challenge to start your own thing for sure, but I had a lot of great support and it's been going great. Really looking forward to this new year. And I think this year is going to be really good.
1: That's awesome. Was there was there ever like a moment in your athletic career where you are kind of like, I got to do something to kind of fix, you know, maybe, maybe it was anxiety or maybe it was, you know, I don't know, just just a mood one day, you know, was, was there ever like a, a specific game or something where you're just like, no, I need to do something to fix this?
2: Yeah. Honestly, I thought it was normal. And so I right. didn't really know anything different. I knew I didn't love the fear of failure. I recognized and acknowledged that I had really high fear of failure and that I was really perfectionistic. But in that time, and s- some ways still it is today, that's perceived as a good thing. Yeah, be really, really, I had a coach actually tell me, because I was trying to lock in all my emotions. And he was like, when you make a mistake, I want to know that you're mad. And I was like, oh, buddy, <laughs> it's all in my <laughs> head. <laughs> right. I don't know that you want me to be showing it because I was doing everything I could at least to keep it in. So yeah. um, there was that aspect where I I just didn't know what to do. And then when I was introduced is my junior year, I think in college, I was introduced to mindfulness, I was introduced mm-hmm. to self-compassion. And I was like, hold up, what what is this? This is very, very different from the culture that I was brought up in where mistakes are bad, you're bad when you make mistakes, show that anger, show that frustration to, yep, yeah, mistakes happen. It's a data point learn from it, move on. And not only that, that step further with self-compassion to be like, with your teammates or your friends or your colleagues, we don't yell at them usually <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> when they make mistakes. We try to encourage them, what would happen if you flipped that around to you? So I think that, that was the moment I was hooked. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is important. Um, the language felt a little uncomfortable to me. But I knew the concepts were very, very meaningful, and I and I knew I wanted to study it and figure out how to bring it to others like me.
0: That's awesome. That's great, great uh, question, Joe and Ashley. You made me think of like, because I, I'm I played in the '80s, early '90s, and we were taught back then you just kept everything inside. Like, well, you just said it mm-hmm. when you're angry, frustrated. You don't talk. You just manage it yourself. But you're you're like a you're like this anger you know, bottle walking around with, you spray it on people. But, um, you know, it's interesting, the culture where the times have changed the vulnerability and the compassion piece versus just the toughness. And I know we'll get into toughness later. So I'll, I'll say this about me and be vulnerable. Growing up in my home, the way I managed, it was dysfunctional. Divorced family, uh, blended family, craziness. We could have easily been on MTV a reality <laughs> show back then. We would have made a lot of money doing that because it was so <laughs> whacked out. So I brought a lot of my upbringing into my sport in college and that pressure got more intense and I didn't handle it. How much, so my question for you, how much of what we'll get in today goes into you bring or taking the context an athletes kind of the way they were raised and parented or lack of when you're dealing with it? How much?
2: Yeah, quite a bit. And at the same time, what's interesting is no matter how we got there, there's a lot of athletes who are really hard on themselves. There's a lot of athletes who keep it all inside. There's a lot of athletes who have a really hard time receiving feedback. And so, yes, context matters, especially when there's trauma involved. We, we got to make sure there's some uh, kind of protections in place so they don't mm-hmm. get too triggered. And at the same time, what I love about the mental performance is I can teach you some skills no matter how you got to that place that can help you get there so whether it's a team concept a, a team um, context where i'm working with the whole team right i'm not, i'm not catering to the individuals necessarily and they're improving mm. they're learning they're growing and at the same time if i worked with you one on one yeah we would get at some of those things some of the roots and be able to heal some of that through through your sport mm-hmm. which is pretty powerful yeah yeah
1: yeah. And in some of your work, you talk about building resilience in, in athletes from self-criticism and mistakes, which, um, you know, I feel like kind of what we were just talking about blends perfect during our next question. You know, can we talk about viewing mistakes and setbacks as an opportunity, you know, rather than a threat?
2: hmm. So this is one of my favorite favorite things to talk about and part of the reason why I named my company fail better training so fail is is not a word that athletes and coaches like so much (laughs) (laughs) we try (laughs) we try our absolute best to avoid failure Mm -hmm. and also the reality of any sport is you will fail depending on how you define it you will make mistakes if we can at least say that you will push your body to its limits and so no matter the context whether it's Sport or or some kind of performance or work, you're gonna you're gonna make mistakes, and so once we can acknowledge that, now we can learn. what is gonna happen. How how do I respond in a way that's actually gonna be productive for me? So to me, that's kind of what resilience means. When the hard stuff happens, how do you respond in a way that's gonna boost your well being and also your your um, performance at the same time? Mm-hmm. And so if we can see mistakes as opportunities to learn, now you can manage it, you can do something with it, you can grow from it. Uh, And it could be something simple like playing basketball, right? If I'm shooting short, I could just beat myself up and then that's not super helpful. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, I'll just stop shooting and I don't get better at it. I'm really just avoiding the situation or I can say, I'm shooting short. Well, let me go back to my technique or let me go back to trusting my instincts. Now I'm going to get better at that thing. And so really it's an opportunity for growth rather than evidence of something that 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 you are a failure. It's mm-hmm. just a mistake. It's just a challenge. Let's use it as an opportunity to bounce forward is the term that I use rather than just take it and not know
0: what to do with it. For sure. So good, Joe. I think so. You made, you, you kind of triggered me right there. Sorry, I had to use a little, <laughs> little language. Um, you made me think of even like just athletes over the years in my mind when i hear like fail because i'm hard on myself mm-hmm. for sure that's kind of my coming out of the home that I was in and you know if you messed up you were you were personally a failure and so i had to work through that growing up so the word that comes to my mind when i hear you talking ashley is the word value and i feel like athletes that are super hard on themselves they get a lot of value of their other performance and so if they play great they feel great they look great they're confident and then once they start struggling, right, it's like they go in the tank and they spiral and they don't think, you know, they don't want to be around people. They kind of, you know, they recluse a little bit or whatever, or they, whatever it may be, the, the habits. But, um, so what do you do or what's kind of your, how do you work with an athlete that really struggles to, to attach that value of what kind of human being they are based on their performance? And how do you kind of work through some of that?
2: Yeah. First of all, we, we talk about that exact thing because there are a lot of athletes where we attach our value and our worth to our performance. And then you do have the roller coaster because we're not going to perform at our best every single day. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just not how things work. And so first of all, just acknowledging that and being like, hey, you're, you are probably attaching your value to your performance and that's why you're experiencing the roller coaster. Something that can be really helpful is to get at what's underneath why we play sports in the first place. I, i've asked this question to a lot of athletes and i don't know if i say hey why do you play basketball why do you why'd you play hockey I'll, maybe i'll ask you that joe why'd you play hockey growing up what did oh, you like about it
1: um i think you know i guess just was the one of the first sports i was ever introduced to as a, like a really little kid and i just i just loved how fast the kid the guys were moving on the ice and um my dad had hockey stuff so it just it was like kind of fascinating to me as a kid i wanted to mess with all my dad's stuff mm-hmm. um but then I got out there when I actually learned how to skate. I mean, it was like, it's like you're free. I mean, you just you go so you you can really get going, and it's it's a whole different feeling than running. Um, and the game moves so fast, and I I don't know, it's just uh just got hooked. Yeah, it's it's almost hard to describe, but like. Um, but yeah, you just, once you can really get it down, like it's, it's pretty awesome.
2: Yeah. So I'm, I'm hearing some like connection in there, like connection with your dad. Mm-hmm. Some like maybe growth or learning, would you say? Like learning new skills? For uh, sure. Some, yeah. Cause you said like, once you get it, it's like really fun. So obviously there is some performing is, is fun too. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of reasons. Sometimes it's exercise, it's learning something new. And I could ask you the same things about, uh, you know, the sports that you played. So there's a lot of reasons underneath why we play those sports. And if we can connect to that, Mm -hmm. for me, when I go out and play, especially if it's a new place and I can say, my purpose here is to build relationships, get better at something and work hard. Now, I'm probably gonna play better, first of all, (laughs) if I'm focused on those things. But when I detach from an outcome, which is out of my control, and attached to something that is in my control, like working hard. That's pretty much in my control. Building relationships with people is mostly in my control. Um, then, then now my my worth and self esteem is not going to rise and fall. Mm-hmm. I can just acknowledge, and, and if we can acknowledge, hey, you have value. I have value just because. Period. Then, when we detach from the outcomes. We usually get the outcomes we want, and we can have more of that stable mood and and self-esteem at the same time. But it's it's a lot to work through because it's deep. It gets us into shame real quick. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I've got a quote too, before we go to our next question, Uh, and I'm gonna botch this quote bad, but it goes something like this. It's like, the most mentally resilient people know how to go from success to failure, to success to failure, success to failure without mom- loss of momentum. Mm-hmm. And if you think about that, and the, the guy that comes to mind obviously is Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy could make mistakes, mess up, but then flip around and make the game-winning shot, not let it beat him up, you know? And I heard it said one time, because this, this episode today is about the mental side of performance, not just the mental health piece, but the performance side. There's been other athletes that are way more... Uh, genetically gifted than michael jordan but his mind like his mind is was like a engine that could not be stopped he was so strong Mm -hmm. mentally that if you could take his mind and implant that into different athletes that were physically more talented he would have there been plenty more and i mean you know ashley and joe you too like you can see athletes that are so talented physically and genetically but just mentally, they're just they're just beating themselves up and they're holding themselves back. So, yeah. anyway, it's interesting. It's an interesting topic for sure. Yeah, and,
2: you, and what's cool is you can almost create your own journey, right? So with someone like Michael Jordan, if if he's going with the mindset of I'm I'm confident, I know what I'm capable of, I know I have value, he's going to perform better. And then when he performs better, that also builds his confidence. If we have these other athletes who are like I'm only have value, people only love me when I perform well, that's creating a lot of pressure. And when we have too much pressure, then we usually falter in some way. Mm. And then when you falter in some way, now you have less confidence, and it creates this new cycle. And so a lot of athletes will think I have to perform well to have co- to have confidence. When really, it's actually if you have the belief in yourself first, let's work on the belief, mm-hmm. and then you're going to perform better. Probably. And you're more consistent. And you're more consistent. Yeah. And then it, let's go and good. then it reinforces so that cycle.
1: Yeah. 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 So you kind of just touched on it just there, like you know, we all have our internal criticisms. You know, and, and you just said like, you know, people only love me when I play well. It's, it sounds a lot like there's a lot of external criticisms too. There's fans. Um, first and foremost, just coaches, you know, coaches are, um, depending on the coach, it, it could be a lot on, on some athletes, you know, and can you talk a little bit about, you know, self compassion and how do, I guess, how do we empower athletes to to use that to kind of overcome some of the external criticisms they receive?
2: Yeah. So, yeah, let me say first that if we can create a culture, an environment, that's going to be the best for our athletes, right? If we Mm -hmm. can include the coaches, if we can include the parents, if we can include the staff where they're also learning these these adaptive ways of um, coaching, then that's going to be the best for the athlete. That said, we can't always do that. It takes a little bit more time to have that culture shift. And so for the athletes, self-compassion, the idea of self-compassion is a couple of things. One, it's the it's mindfulness, it's that mm-hmm. awareness, the present moment awareness, the non-judgment, common humanity, which is recognizing that setbacks, mistakes, challenges are it's part of being human. Right. We all experience pain and suffering. And then that self-kindness, which we typically treat others better than we treat ourselves when when someone else is struggling, we're pretty quick to encourage with ourselves. It's a little different. Mm-hmm. And so it's taking these three different concepts towards ourselves. And so the power in that, if you can learn to be your own advocate, if you can really develop that self-love, that self-encouragement, that resilience, then even when you have a coach who's yelling at you, rather than getting that feedback and saying his his or her feedback, their feedback means I'm not good enough, you already know that you're good enough. You already know you have value. You already know that you are loved. And so that can create almost like a barrier to where you can take the pieces of that criticism and feedback that are going to help you grow, and mm-hmm. the parts that aren't helpful, maybe the, the sharp tone or, or the edge, it kind of just bounces off. Mm-hmm. Now, that takes work. It takes energy. Yeah. It, we got to be in a good place to be able to do that, which is why I do what I do is to prepare athletes for those situations so that when it comes, they're they're ready to handle it. They've already practiced it, just like you would in a performance setting, lifting weights, or in practice shooting, right? Mm-hmm. We don't just expect ourselves to be good shooters. <laughs> we have to go right. out and, and put the time and work in.
1: Right. Yeah. And I feel like that's so important because, and, and you're right, it's got to take time because I feel like a lot of times when when athletes hear that, they only hear, like their filter at the time only receives the sharp, edgy criticisms rather than like the point that's, you know, supposed to be helping them build. And, you know, and it's on us coaches as well, strength coaches, all, all of us, you know, to, to communicate better too, to, so you don't have to maybe filter that. But um, yeah, that's, it's just intense that, you know, how much time it takes where athletes probably just all they hear is the, the sharp stuff and they're like, oh, well, that's not good. You know?
2: Yeah. And, um, and it's hard. It, it is really natural. It's that, that survival mm-hmm. instinct where the inner critic is all about threat. It's protecting you from a threat. And if you have an authority figure giving you feedback that could be uh, affecting you, right? Maybe you don't you don't get a play. Maybe it leads to injury. Maybe it leads to separation and isolation on the team. And that inner critic is, is not super rational.
0: <laughs> it's right. going to go to yeah. the
2: extreme ends to where it will go from the coach says, hey, adjust your shot. And the athlete deep down is thinking, I'm not good enough. No one loves me.
0: Right. And so
2: we have to learn to make that shift. And it does take some practice. Sometimes, honestly, it just takes one session and they're like, Oh, I get it. Mm-hmm. But it's, it is really important to work on both ends where yes, the coaches are learning to communicate better. And also y'all probably know this, of working with athletes too. You could say something in the best way possible and they still might not take it great. Yeah. So we got to work from both ends so that they're learning to regulate their own uh, challenges and activations, I guess too.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's good stuff. Shifting gears. Uh, I, I want to kind of jump on a little different topic here and talk about toughness. Mm-hmm. And if I've heard this once, Ashley, Joe, I know you've heard it, I've heard it a million times, so-and-so talking about an athlete, they're just soft. They're soft. And they're just not strong, they're not tough. And I, I grew up in a football culture where, you know, yelling, shouting, uh, berating you, cursing, oftentimes, um, made you tough that was and if you were if you were talking in a normal tone you're being too soft on an athlete in a football culture so a lot you, you can hear it on a lot of the talking heads today like the way these athletes are coached today it's just, they're so soft compared to the way it was back then and part of me thinks sometimes like no that was just abusive <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah so anyway i'd love to hear your thoughts how can you kind of create well can you create an environment where there's some positivity? and some toughness in there, just speaking to that.
2: Yeah, definitely. Because the one challenge, I talk about this a lot with athletes, um, let's say an athlete makes a mistake and we hear this all the time too, kind of the goldfish mentality or next play, next play, next play, which can be helpful for sure because we're at least not beating ourselves up. And also you might not be making performance adjustments. If we always just say next play, we might not be getting better. We, we just are moving on. On the flip side if like my coach who was saying, be harder on yourself. That also wasn't helpful. Mm -hmm. That that was making me play play worse. So there is definitely, there's a time and a place for everything. There's a time and a place for us to be constructively critical and evaluative. We want to be evaluative. But honestly, I don't know if it's ever helpful to be harshly critical. And if you do see it, coaches will see it work for a moment. It could be a short-term strategy, sure. It's not going to be helpful in the long term. It's creating more problems. If you're telling an athlete they're not good enough, I'm gonna pull your scholarship if you don't perform well. Because those things are out of the athlete's control, right? I don't get to control if I make all my shots. I can put the work in, I can put the time in, but when that ball leaves my hand, mm-hmm. you know, it was in my control, I'd make them all. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't miss. So I, I think one, yes, there is a time and a place for it. The harsh criticism is not not a long term strategy. And each athlete is also gonna be a little bit different. There's gonna be some athletes where yelling at them is just not helpful. And so you could keep yelling at them and at some point it's either gonna break them or they'll develop this air quote, tougher skin, but what's happening underneath, is it actually helping? So I think it's important to learn what is helpful for the athletes, Mm -hmm. to what balance there is some encouragement um, and, and some feedback. And like we were talking about with the criticism earlier, the athletes also need to learn how to handle different approaches. Right, mm-hmm. because not not every coach is going to meet them exactly where they need. Because you got fifteen different people who all receive things a little bit a little bit differently. So, yeah, that that's what I would say. I say there is some room for that toughness where you just got to push through, power through, and also there's a time where you need to step back and and do something different.
0: Yeah, I think you you made me think. One of my favorite sayings is like, "Words are containers of power," and man, the words you use with kids and people uh, can either bring death or life. You know, it was one of my favorite proverbs. It's like, life and death is in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit, right? And so I totally believe that, that like you've got to really be careful with the words you use and choose, especially if, you know, you're you're speaking into an athlete that maybe has, they lack that value in themselves because there's trauma or something there. They're not going to hear your criticism if it's really harsh and sharp versus somebody who's maybe they just they know they're valuable without you telling them yeah. and so again I think I think that's so good good stuff
2: yeah and even going back to where you're saying with Michael Jordan so you know I don't know people say I don't know what's true and what's not but he would read the comments whatever those were in the back day right the negative comments that people would say about him before games and so I'll have athletes bring that up of like well I play better when someone's yelling at me the difference though is that's because they believe in themselves Michael Jordan is reading these comments and he's saying, watch this and prove them wrong. That's really different from an athlete who's reading that and it's seeping in. Mm-hmm. And I bet there were moments that he didn't want to read those negative comments where, where he was in a spot where that was not helpful for him. And so we got to learn for ourselves. There's a time when we need like a kick in the butt to get going. I'm not saying we should always be easy on our athletes. We need to push them. And also it doesn't need to be demeaning. It's not helpful. If you can do that with love, you you show them that you truly, truly care about them and you're able to push them, then they will work harder by increasing their value, not by feeling worse.
0: uh, Again, Joe, you can chime in on this, but Mm I don't know if there's any research or validity to this, but it's like the Mark Twain quote of, for every negative word you say to somebody, it takes seven positive words to kind of like negate that or bring it back to balance. And I do, I believe, uh, you know, that, Again, I had, I literally changed positions in college because I had an O-line coach that never played football and was so critically sharp with his words. I just didn't have a lot of respect for him. So you're gonna be that hard and and sharp with me with your tongue and you've never played this sport. Once I found that out, I was done and I I I changed (laughs) over to a position playing defensive line under uh, Coach Steve Greer, who passed away, I think a couple years ago, he was an awesome coach. He was really hard on me with his words, but guess what? There was more compassion in his coaching style because he was an All-American defensive lineman back in the 60s when he was undersized and small and he was a stud, and so he could coach you differently because he'd been in your shoes before. So there was a different level of how he would deliver his criticism. And so you could receive it better. So it was good.
1: Yeah, I know. I, I mean, that's the quote is honestly probably pretty accurate. I mean, I, I've seen some athletes. I'll I won't say who, but you know, doing something like an Olympic lift, where it takes a lot of there's kind of a lot of moving parts. You know, with with those, and you know, some some kids get a little um, not scared, but you know, they lose a little belief that they're gonna catch that clean or catch that snatch, and and um, and sometimes you know. I've seen one kid. They got the cue, you know. Hey, don't be scared. Like, you know, let's let's get it. You know, and then they're they're thinking, they're thinking, uh, oh, I'm I'm always scared. Like, Mm -hmm. like probably what they heard. I, you know, if I had to perceive it that way, is, oh, I'm scared. I suck. And then it's like, you know, it took like a couple weeks to a lot of positive reinforcement with that individual to to kind of get them back where we wanted them. And it's like, dang, like that really wasn't even yelling at him or anything, but it was it was just enough. Like one negative. For what they perceive a negative comment, took a couple of weeks of positive reinforcement just to to get back where we were, you know. So, so yeah.
0: to to Joe's point, Ashley, what would your advice be for the listeners that are working with athletes as a sharp coach? That's what would what would you tell them? How would you tell them coach them through that?
2: Yeah, for the athletes. Yeah, what would you tell
0: the our listener? Mm -hmm. to help that athlete kind of work through that with that head coach or assistant coach?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, one, they're going to be needing to do a lot of positive self-talk, building their own confidence. If they can't rely on a coach, if the coach is going to be bringing them down, then they got to, one thing I would say, one of my favorite things is a confidence journal. That'd be at the end of every day, or if you got a real tough situation, maybe a few times a day, writing down one thing you, you like about yourself and something good you did that day. So then they're starting to build their own confidence when it comes down to it, if you can have a confidence that is so deeply rooted, it doesn't really matter what other people say.
0: Hard to shake, yeah.
2: That said, you also got to surround yourself with good people, right? If It's really challenging. If you have a coach, you're in front of that coach a lot and they're, they're berating you, then you got to develop a lot of self-love, a lot of connections, a lot of social support so that it's not taking over to kind of balance things mm-hmm. out a bit. So I would say be really intentional with who you surround yourself with and with the negative comments from that coach you got to be real good at finding their intention i don't I don't know that most coaches are just trying to be rude right they might not know better and so to try to find the intention what's the coach trying to teach me and f- use that as your filter uh because it's it's gonna be hard another way if you're if you're stuck yeah. in that position
0: quick story uh, this is like crazy story I remember uh, was I was working with football here many years ago. And we had this kid on the team. Uh, his nickname was Megatron. And it wasn't because he acted like Megatron. or He just, his body, he was just a freak physically. <laughs> and now the kid had some issues uh, growing up and stuff. And this hard-nosed coach came in just hot, yelling, cursing, and then one morning, This individual, this guy was huge. He was probably 6'3", 6'4", 250, 260. I mean, stud. Ripped, strong, fast, explosive. And he was just uh, late to the workout one early, this offseason, and decides to rip him in front of everybody. And this kid blew up. I mean, I thought he was literally going to stomp this coach's rear end right there in front (laughs) of all of us. I literally saw, it. thankfully it didn't turn out to anything bad, but it escalated quick. I moved to another end of the, the warm-up line. I was like, I'm not going. I don't want to be on this one. <laughs> and um, Megatron, this athlete, finally calmed down. We got back to normal. I saw that coach from that point on change his coaching style because that kid couldn't, for whatever reason, that was not you know embarrassing, screaming at him and cursing him out in front of the whole team. He was not going to have it. And uh, from that point on, he would always pull him aside or he'd call him and have a meeting with him privately. And we didn't have more issues with him. But again, that was not going to go well with that kid.
2: Well, because other thing I was going to say is advocate for yourself. This is really scary for athletes, though, because there's a power dynamic and that could be really challenging. So if you do have a coach who, you know, cares about you at some level, if you can advocate for yourself and and step up, learn some communication skills and being like, hey, coach, I want to make sure we're on the same page. I want to let you know, here's what's really helpful for me. This isn't so helpful. Can we talk about? like how to reach some common ground. Cause it's hard for coaches. They got however many people and they're trying to tailor it right. in a different way. They got their own stuff they got to change. So that is a, it is really challenging with the power dynamic.
0: Yeah, you gotta, yeah, you gotta throw it out. And I think what I see a lot of time in coaching, I just wonder, yeah, I've wondered like the way you coach your athletes, would you respond well to that? If somebody yelled and screamed and berated you, I don't Great know. Question. I don't think I don't. I've never met anybody that thrives under that kind of environment or culture. You know, now I think you you do need to be tough on your athletes and you need to hold them accountable. But I don't think to your point, Coach Coach Ashley, like you got to watch kind of how they're responding to it. So yeah, and I, I kind of wanted to redirect a little bit. I, I want to know about
1: we all have strengths and weaknesses as athletes and coaches and whatnot. You know, and and it seems like we. We're usually pretty self-aware of what our strengths are, but no matter how many strengths we have, the few or or many weaknesses seem to always kind of like take over for either major competition or a major event that we're about to to do. You know how how do we overcome those weaknesses? You know, like what is what does that process kind of look like? You know, is that self-talk? Is it game planning, goal setting? You know how how do we you know what's like a preferred way to go about that.
2: Yeah, there, there's a lot of different ways. Some of it would be just like you said, working at it from the self talk perspective. I actually had a session today with a a team where we talked about strengths, and it can be really uncomfortable actually for athletes to like if I walked up to you and I said, hi, what's your name? Tell me three strengths about yourself. It might feel a little awkward, <laughs> comfortable <Yeah. laughs> to acknowledge them. So I think one increasing our awareness around our strengths. One of my favorite ways to do that, that helps them feel more comfortable and connected is to think about the people in your life who've helped you develop those qualities. So whether it's a tangible skill, like I'm a good shooter, a good passer, or I'm hardworking, I'm determined, and thinking about all the people in your life who've helped you develop those qualities, that's one going to just kind of open your circle up a bit more. Mm -hmm. That inner critic, is really strong for most people, and we also have a negativity bias. So we gotta really work hard and be very intentional with thinking about our strengths versus our weaknesses, because that's just that's just automatic. And right. so, I think um, there are some ways that you can use your strengths that actually help your weaknesses. So, for example, um, I'm not I I didn't grow up being a super patient person, and one thing I'm really good at is working really hard and I care a lot about people. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm focused on my weaknesses in relationships and I'm like, oh, I'm just not patient. I'm going to beat myself up for that. I'm going to isolate myself more. And that's what I'm trying to get better at my weakness. So I just got to be more patient. It's not super fun. (laughs) But if I think about connecting with people and loving people and I'm like, you know, I just want to get better at that today. Then being patient is way easier because I'm, 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 directed towards my strengths. So I think being intentional about what are the, the ways that you can use your strengths by just focusing on them and actually increasing them, then naturally your weaknesses will become better or, or less, however you wanna phrase that. So that that could be really powerful. I think, ha- I mean, having a coach, again, this is why I have this job, because it can take a little bit more to work through what is your self-talk, when is your inner critic showing up? Let's work to turn the volume down on that inner critic and turn up the volume on our inner coach and that can come in a lot of ways journaling the self-talk regulating our emotions all that kind of stuff
1: for sure yeah there's um i can't remember her name um she was about to fight for the ufc uh title um can't remember the weight class either but they, they showed a video of her and she was using self-talk before the match so she's standing on her end you know the ref you know was ready you ready Um, And I think at the time they're calling out their names, you know, um, where they're from and all that. And in the whole time, it had to be like five minutes. She just kept saying, like, you could read her lips. She's going, you're the best. You're the best. You're the best. And it was like, she's just blocking out any negativity weakness or whatever and she's just focused and she ended up winning the title uh, I think by first round knockout or something like that yeah I that's mean, she, awesome she went and dominated but it was just it was just a really cool example you almost like never really see self-talk you know what I mean like it's mostly just kind of in her head you know stuff we kind of run through and so I, just, I just thought that was pretty that's, cool yeah.
0: that's good real quick I'm not the the brain person here but I've read enough books on this topic the retinacular act- activating system mm-hmm I've always, that's a big fancy long word, but I always took it as to what you guys were saying. it's like, I don't know if you remember the old days where you you would burn a CD. Oh, yeah. Once you burn a CD, you couldn't burn it again. (laughs) It was like, whatever's on there is on there. I feel like that in your mind, you have these like, these little messages and beliefs that are kind of burned into your brain. And some of these, you know, these self kind of value statements you have about yourself kind of helps rewire that. One of the authors, one of my favorite authors to read, I highly recommend this book, is called Soundtracks by, uh, what's his name? John Acuff. And I just read it. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on overthinking. And so he talks about it in the book how, and he goes through different, like, you know, things, different, different ways we overthink stuff. And I see this in our athletes. And typically you see, uh, like I, I work with our men's tennis team, we've got definitely a guy on there that high performer, like he's amazing but then sometimes he can get so deep in the weeds of something he starts overthinking it and now he's kind of getting off track of you know what we're trying to actually to accomplish but this guy mentally resilient but just speak I know it's not on our script today but overthinking what is your go to with overthinking
2: yeah there's a lot that can be there i like peeling back the layers of what are they overthinking about right they're they're ruminating and getting at the right. root of it which usually is some level of anxiety some negative self belief right I'm, I'm not good enough, Anxiety. what if this, what if that? And kind of going back to what you said before about the don't be scared, mm-hmm. uh, here, here's one tip of that. If we can give people something to focus on rather than avoid, because if we hear don't be scared, then we're gonna be scared, <laughs>
0: right? Yeah, they yeah, don't so. shoot,
2: I do think I'm gonna shoot, right? And so yep. if, what's the opposite of not being scared? Like, hey, be brave, you got this. Then now that inner critic can't show up. And same with what you're what you're saying. Rather than trying to overthink and and work through the anxiety, is like, what are you trying to do? Let's approach that. Focus on that, because the anxiety is all about threats, all about that that avoidance. How do we protect ourselves? It's just the best way to do that is to be proactive. And so that could be one way to switch switch gears a bit.
1: That's good. Yeah. Another quick question. You know, social media. I mean. Our athletes are, and I'm, I'm probably the same way, are, we're all glued to our phones these days. I mean, it's almost impossible. You mentioned Michael Jordan earlier. You know, he he looked at his critics. You know, maybe some athletes back in the day could just, just don't read the paper, you know, but now it's like we're going to see it no matter what. You know, how, how I guess how do you work with athletes and helping them block a lot of those things out?
2: Yeah, some of it is going to be finding those uh, ways to self-regulate, right? Mm-hmm. Is it turning off notifications, is it, is it being real? You have to be proactive. And also even with putting those kinds of safeguards into place and being proactive about how you want your social media used to be and, and how it's gonna be feeling for you, probably you're still gonna have those negative things come. So learning and making a game plan for when those things come, what are you gonna do about it? How can mm-hmm. you again, build that self-confidence? Who are your safe network of people who you trust and really, really care about? because it's going to happen and the higher the level, the more it's gonna happen, the quicker it can spread. And so, yeah, that is definitely something that's worth yeah, making a plan that's for.
0: Good, yeah. I, I think, so I wanna piggyback Joe, give us nuts and bolts. So today it's just so apparent there's this strength and conditioning piece, right? The physical piece, there's this nutrition piece. Um, we've got the sports science where we're collecting data. Talk about, how do you practically, to our listeners, Mental game. How do you lay out a good mental game for an athlete that's something that's low-hanging fruit, uh, something that can be repetitive? And, and to Joe's point, I mean, athletes, I think I read a couple years ago uh, this book. I forget the name of it. Um, Marie Florio, whatever. Anyway, she's an entrepreneur. But she breaks down how much time on her phone's in there. And she just gets into the, the weeds of like, if you just took a portion of that phone time, And put it towards whatever your goal or dream is you'll get so much better so so for athletes if they would just spend a small portion of their phone time doing mental game stuff it would be so so give us some some low-hanging fruit there Uh, i
2: mean one i would say get a coach but get a mental coach right we have the sports coaches we got the nutrition coaches get someone who can work with you um the second thing it could be some journaling if people like to write then that could be something that's really helpful like i mentioned that confidence journal I, i mean that can transform people you're building awareness you're thinking about your day, you're building your confidence, what what you like about yourself, what's going well. The other thing I would say is is creating that game plan, like identify those situations that are really hard for you. What what are the situations where the anxiety shows up, the nervousness shows up? Mm-hmm. And even just thinking about how how do you want to respond? Journal that out, make a game plan, right? Use some visualization if you want to do that, kind of stuff on your own other like one of the easiest tools in terms of self-talk, if, you, if you're one of those people who uh, are really hard on themselves, when you catch yourself in that moment or ahead of time make a game plan for what do you say to your teammates that you care about?
0: Mm-hmm. Or
2: think about your ideal coaches, what would they say to you in that moment? And the the biggest thing I, I feel like for me in, in the mental space is about gaining perspective. That inner critic, get our narrow focus, we're in that threat state and we get a really narrow perspective. So whatever ways you you need to gain a greater perspective yes. maybe it's talking with loved ones time with coaches you care about it's journaling it's gratitude that's going to help you a lot
0: joe what i hear her saying this is an absolute phenomenal read it's worth every second of your time the book's called generation z unfiltered doctor tell me more the highest and number one skill that kids today lack not just in sport but just kids because of social media they don't have the ability to reflect. Reflective thinking, it's all consumption. I'm just scrolling and taking in, and I'm going through life, and when I, so when I make mistakes, and I'm always looking for likes and comments of positivity, when you fail, there's gotta be this piece of like, okay, what happened, what are the lessons learned? And you gotta kinda get back from it, and you gotta reflect, that's what journaling is, that's what looking Mm -hmm. at the big perspective, what can you learn from? It? And then you're not always just consuming and taking in. Your brain doesn't ever get anything out of. It. There's no change in the in the way you see things. So I think the reflective piece is anything you can do to teach huge. your kids to reflect more is going to be huge.
2: Yeah, it is huge. And then at some point, like there's a lot that we can work out. And when I talk with athletes, honestly, they have the answers inside of them for the most part. Yeah. But they have to find a way to unlock it. And and that is the power in in coaching in what whether it's strength and conditioning or technique or whatever is we gotta unlock it
1: yeah and in putting everything together it feels like utilizing all this for sport and performance to translate very well to you know a life after athletics you know not all of our athletes continue on to be professionals uh you know which industries have you found this to be you know the need for resilience and self-compassion you know what, what industries probably need the most
2: yeah all of them yeah. <laughs> I, think, <Right. laughs> I think uh this is something i love about my job is is we can use sports To help in any performance domain which is everything it's it's school it's work it's business it's medicine it's home life and relationships and so like performance is everywhere that negative self talk shows up in lots of different areas and so the beautiful thing about sport is is every single day there's several moments where you're making mistakes and failing in school it might not be as frequent and so Mm -hmm. it's a good place to practice but it's totally applicable anywhere
1: yeah yeah And in the professional world too, you know, a lot of people, they, you know, you're you're making money. You could have a family, kids, house, all the adulting things, you know, the, I'd say the stakes are a little bit higher, uh, in, in a lot of ways, you know, does your approach differ at all with, with, uh, you know, with, with folks beyond athletics or is it kind of just, um, similar but different?
2: Yeah. It's similar. The context changes obviously, but the practices and concepts are the same. It's still developing that belief in yourself. It's still working through self-talk. But yeah, the context does change a
1: little bit.
0: Awesome. Good stuff. Well, for time's sake, we're going to have to land a plane here. Um, if our listeners want to reach out and work with you, learn more about you, inquire, what's the best way to find you?
2: Yeah, website, failbettertraining.com. Also on Instagram, LinkedIn, you can find me there, failbettertraining uh, on Instagram and then LinkedIn, Ashley Kuchar. PhD.
0: Awesome. And then what's kind of the different ways you work with people? Give us a little bit of a
2: Yeah. So I work with with entire teams, whether it's professional, college, high school level, one on one. It could be virtual, can be in person. And then also doing workshops and speaking, whether it's corporate events or particular clubs and organizations like that as well.
0: Yes. And I'll say Ashley came in and did a a, about an hour and a half training with a lot of our staff Mm -hmm. and did a phenomenal job. So Thank you. uh, definitely enjoyed it and got a lot from it so that's why you're here talking today so but that's true (laughs) uh anyway you know we wish you success and hopefully don't take her too much anybody listening because we want to use it too so (laughs) thank um, you
2: (laughs) thank you appreciate it anyway
0: any resources one resource obviously fail better there's a bunch on the
2: website so i've got a a free download there's a webinar that you can watch uh, my workbook that that goes with the reset program it's meant to be a resource uh it's a good entry point though so but yeah, don't don't hesitate to reach out. People can email me too. Everything's on the website. How is there? So Good. it's probably the best place.
0: Last fun question, Joe. Where should she eat in Austin? She's a newbie. She's Austin Well, she went to well, the I got to yeah. answer now What you got? Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm a big fan of True Food.
2: Oh. What's True Food? Where's that at? Oh, that is like over. That. I
1: like um. I heard it. So, oh, geez. It's over by the new library off of uh, Cesar Chavez. Oh, yeah. Kind of a Second Street area. Like
0: Austin High. That area, that yeah, yeah, uh, like the electric district yeah, or whatever that was over where there. The old power
1: plant was. <laughs> All right. Um, it's really good. It's really yeah. healthy. Okay, there, cool. Well, there's, there's one in the domain cool. too. There's two of them. Okay. Yeah. Cool.
0: It's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. right. You were you got your P.C. here. What do you I like the? What's your go-to All spot? I
2: say I, I love Chewy's I mentioned that to you. I love chewies, of the, yeah. uh, Jalapeno cheddar or uh, the jalapeno ranch is real good yeah um i'll say my favorite donut shop is in south austin casey's donuts never they had get, it I'm they on got it. grazed donuts and uh the croissant sandwiches wait so you said casey's mm. casey's, casey's donuts. donuts yeah
0: mouth-watering delicious south yes yeah, i'm there south austin i'm gonna pick a morning so they're donut, their
2: donut holes are the best and their, their croissant sandwiches
0: you mm. sold
1: me donut holes that's 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 my
0: go-to yeah so uh, they're so nice too i'm a burger guy are you a burger guy absolutely you like burgers yeah. eat? i do yeah i like burgers if you had jew boy burger yet
2: no i haven't oh but i saw it i looked it up i almost had it burgers? once no oh. I, haven't, I
0: haven't had the is day. it Go. good it's good it's okay. solid okay it's up there yeah. it's not far from campus so it's pretty close it's about a seven minute drive from mm. campus so anyway time to get some lunch we're not getting paid for any of this we just we like to eat i, so I think yeah, the we city's do. gonna owe us at some point yeah. restaurants there's like, this yeah, is like yeah. free plugs for all these places that's true that's true well hey uh we appreciate everybody dialing in and listening today coach ashley sorry i gotta call you mental coach there okay. <laughs> it's just natural uh thank you so much uh great episode today and very informative and eye-opening so coach joe always good to have you in the studio my yes, friend. Sir. and hey thank you so much that's the team behind the team 2024 kicking off with the bang and we will catch you on the flip side hook them horns hook them Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Team Behind the Team podcast. For future episodes, go to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. We definitely want to keep having great guests on the show and great content. So if you have a moment, please go to iTunes, leave a rating and review, and let us know how we're doing. I'm Donnie Mabe and thanks so much for tuning in.